Hear the word of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. This sermon is for the birds and for the rest of us. St. Francis was famous for going out and preaching to the birds. People asked him why in the world he would do such a thing. And he said, if I don't, who will? We find birds throughout Scripture, and we find especially here in this description of the temple that there is even a place, even a place for the birds. The first thing that happens here in this psalm is the temple is described, and that description is a fairly um, specific one. Its beauty is described, and if you want to look at the ancient historian Josephus, you can see his description of the sun shining on the bright metal that can be found there at the temple. We find a longing to be in God's presence. Now, this longing to be in God's presence is an interesting thought for a couple of reasons. Number one, we believe that God is, big 50-cent theological word, omnipresent God is everywhere right now God is with those who are worshiping in Haiti and singing their songs in Creole right now God is across the street at morning point with the person who is all alone in his or her bed right now God is with the student at the University of Kentucky who is asleep they wanted to go to church but they slept through the alarm clock 
They slept through it again. I've told you all about my alarm clock. My alarm clock, you know, it starts off really slow. Over 19 minutes' time, it gets louder and louder. And then after 19 minutes, it goes absolutely crazy. But I have figured out that after it goes crazy, for 30 seconds, it stops. <laughs> It's a sad thing to figure out, but there's this longing to be in God's presence that the psalmist talks about. And God's presence is everywhere. God is omnipresent, but listen, God is also present in a particular way when Jesus says, for instance, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There I am in their midst. Where two or three are gathered in my name. Now, notice the one number that is left out of that specific Christ presence. That one number is one. That's not to say God's not with you when you're alone. But that is to say that God is with us in a way that God is not with the single solitary person. There's something that happens when we gather in worship, when we hear the scriptures read and the word of God proclaimed, when we sing the songs. There's something that happens when we get together that doesn't happen. I can't tell you the number of times I have been in someone's house and they've sat down and they've put up their seat on their lazy boy and they said, Preacher, I don't need to go to church. I can worship God all by myself right here just where I am. And those kinds of people are not even worth arguing with most of the time. But the answer is, figure it out. There's something that happens when you are in God's presence. There's something that happens where two or three are gathered. There's something that happens in this place where we sing in this place where we receive the body and blood of Christ, in this place where forgiveness and grace, justification and sanctification, new life, new hearts are proclaimed and discussed and talked about. Even the sparrow is at home. Now, you all know birds are everywhere. They especially love statues and architecture. You go and look at any statue, and you can tell, even if there are no birds sitting on the statue, you can tell they've been there. You go to, to any architectural thing that's, that's got any place that a bird could sit, a gargoyle, for example, and you can tell the birds have found it. The birds have found it. As you go out here, there are, there are three arches. Look over the arches to the left as you exit, and there are... The barn swallows. Barn swallows are incredible creatures. They make nests about this far from the ceiling. They make them out of small balls of mud. And they're incredible creatures to look at. They end up being there for four or five weeks. They make a terrible mess while they're there. You just want to hose off the area underneath it. But they're so fun to look at. And it's interesting to see that there is even a place for the birds where people come and worship God. Blessed are those, the psalmist says, who perpetually have this opportunity. Blessed are those who perpetually have this opportunity. Now, when the Bible talks about temples, there are really three different temples that the Bible is talking about. There is Solomon's temple, which is helpfully labeled Solomon's temple. 
on my slide there. And it just, just for even numbers, count that at about 1000 B.C. It's a little bit earlier than that, but in your mind, if you think 1,000 plus or minus 40, you, you'll be fine. Solomon's temple is, is the temple that David wanted to build, but ultimately Solomon ended up being able to build. Uh, approximately 500 years later, 520 B.C., the exiles come back, and Zerubbabel, in the time of Ezra and, and Nehemiah, comes and rebuilds the temple. So there is a temple that's very much like Solomon's temple. It has much more in common with Solomon's temple than Herod's temple. That's the second building of the temple in around 500 B.C. And then, and just before the time of Jesus, around 19 or 20 B.C., Herod engages in this incredible building project and you can see Herod wanted to be remembered for a long, long time and wanted to build something that would last. So on the one hand, you've got Solomon's temple and Herod says, temple, that's not really a temple. I'll show you what a temple is and engaged in this incredible building project. Unfortunately, around 20 B.C. to about 70 A.D., this temple was only in existence for about 90 years before the Romans came and destroyed it. Now, they believed a little bit differently about the temple than we believe about the church. Like, none of us would say the church is God's home. It's funny to me. A lot of kids in church think I live at church. So when they see me at Walmart, when they see me at Fazoli's, it's like, wait, you should be at church. <laughs> and oftentimes, I do spend a lot of time at church, but, but we don't consider this to be the home of God on earth. We, we understand there are other churches, and, and we understand the omnipresence of, of God. And, but the temple, in the time of, of the, the psalmist writing here, and in the time of the Old Testament, uh, into the early chapters of the New Testament, the temple is understood to be that place where God actually resides. And so to visit the temple precincts is to approach God. To visit the temple precincts is to draw near to God. Now, the temple itself, the interior of the temple, uh, if you want to learn about all of the furnishings, go ahead and read the Pentateuch this afternoon. It'll be fun. Um, you can see that there's the exterior of the temple outside where people can sing and worship and pray. But you've got to be on the priestly class in order to get inside, and you've got to be the high priest in order to get to the Holy of Holies. So you see the temple itself has all this furniture in the, in the first chamber that you would enter into. And in that second chamber, that deep chamber in the back, the one that if you go to Jerusalem now would, would back up to the western wall, the Holy of Holies contains three things. The Ark of the Covenant right there in the middle. And, and then these sentinels, these these cherubim that are guarding the dignity and the power of Israel's God who was envisioned as being enthroned on the cherubim enthroned there upon the ark of the covenant 
And so the Holy of Holies seemed to be the throne of God. In 63 B.C., something incredible happened. The Roman general Pompey behaved in a ridiculously shocking way. He casually came into Jerusalem and started walking around the temple precincts, and then he walked into the Holy of Holies to take a look around. And the important thing for our purposes, it's notable what Pompey did not find. He did not find what would be found in any other temple of the day. He did not find an image of the God whom Israel worshipped. Now, what he was expecting to find, if you've been to Nashville lately or if you've wandered around Nashville for any time, um, you know there is a life-sized replica of the Parthenon. Yes, the guy on the right is also the guy on my right. Back when he had even more hair than he had when he first came here. And, and Brother Phil, twin brother there, we went out to the Parthenon eight years, five months ago. If you go into the Parthenon, you will see what Pompey expected to find when he walked into the Holy of Holies. When you go into the Parthenon, you will see this life-sized image of Athena. But what would have been found in any other temple was missing when Pompey pulled back the curtain. What these cherubim were guarding as Pompey looked around, what they were guarding, he looked at and thought, they're guarding nothing. Which is why the Greeks and the Romans were so puzzled by Jewish faith, why they were so puzzled by Christian faith after Jewish faith. They were used to gods who could be seen, whereas the Jews and the Christians worship a God who cannot be seen. Listen, friends. Pray today that God would give you a passion for worship. Pray today that God would give you a passion for worship. I've got bad news. It's not really bad news compared to everything else that's going on in the world. But the United Methodist Church will have a mask mandate again starting in a week. Um, we will require masks as we did before. And some of you may be tempted to yell at me because of that. I didn't write the rule. Others of you will be tempted to make comparisons that involve Adolf Hitler. Let me just tell you that if you make a comparison to me that involves Adolf Hitler with masks, I'm not going to hold back. Because if you think that there is anything in common between a face covering and the murder of six million people, then you are misunderstanding something fundamentally true. And you've gone off the rails. Pray that God would give you a passion for worship. What do I mean by a passion for worship? I mean, don't be the husband that says, I've got to get up and go to church again. 
because Sally wants me to. I really can't stand it, but the preacher goes on and on and on. I'd rather sleep in. You know, I got home at 9.31 last night. 9.30 is really my bedtime. (laughs) I'm going to need to make that up with another 45 minutes of sleep. The bishop's telling us to wear masks again. Taking away our freedom. Listen, friends. Listen. When you decided to follow Jesus, you gave up some of your freedom. And if you haven't given up some of your freedom to follow Jesus, then you and I need to talk about how closely you're following Jesus. I am tired of hearing about masks. I am tired of hearing about what people think about vaccines. And it's always a one-way kind of conversation, generally, because people are more than happy to tell me what they think about vaccines. Never ask me what I think. People are more than happy to tell me what they think about mask mandates. Never ask me what I think. I'm a pastor. I want to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. If you're not saved, I want to see you saved. If you are not forgiven, I want you to know before you leave the place where we meet that Jesus Christ shed his blood for your sins and that you can be a new creation. If you say, I'm going to give God everything except for my vocation, how I behave, how I spend my money, I want to see you devoted 100% to God. And for the last 18 months, for every spiritual conversation I've had, there have been 25 about masks and vaccines. Dear friends, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Either you want to come and have a passion for worship or we need to grow up into the image of Christ. We need to stop majoring on things that the world is telling us are the most important things in the world. And it may just be that the devil has placed all of this stuff in our society so that we can talk about anything but the stuff that really matters. So that the anger we have toward our next door neighbor, our sister, our aunt seven times removed keeps us from asking the real questions. How lovely is your dwelling place? My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. Pray that God would give you a passion for worship and know that you have a place. You have a place. Even the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest for herself where she may yet lay her young at your altars 
O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Some of you have heard me sing. I walk up and down the hallway. If I knew you were there, you wouldn't have heard me sing. But I walk up and down the hallway, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Does your heart sing ever? When you come to worship, is there something that, that leads you into this place where you know that God is here? There's a place for you. There's a place, even for the sparrows, there's a place where God's people come together for worship. Don't forget to look for the barn swallows. They're gone now. Their nests are still there. I don't know what it'll take to get their nests down, but they'll build them again next year. The barn swallows are creative. You've got a place. If the birds have a place, you've got a place. And know that God cares about creation. It's not just that God cares about Chris Morgan's soul and wants me to go to heaven instead of hell. That's certainly true. But God cares about all of creation. There are a couple of series that are coming up in the next couple of months. One on the book of James. And then we'll move to the book of Job. Um, one of the things in the book of Job, as God ends up talking to Job, is that God speaks of his care for nature. And asks Job, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or when they lie and wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? The answer to a rhetorical question in the Bible is usually pretty easy. Who provides for the ravens? Turn the question into a statement. The, the speaker here is God. I provide for the raven. It's prey when its young ones cry out to me. One of the um, interesting verses in the book of Proverbs has to do with care for creation. Proverbs 12, 10. The righteous know the needs of their animals, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. I think about this when I give my dog water. God cares about my canine friend, and God cares how I treat my canine friend. What does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says this about creation. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You know, the sparrows that, that come to where God's people are worshiping. You know, the sparrows that find a place in the temple of God. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God's consciousness is so amazing 
that not one sparrow falls apart from his awareness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, even the hairs of your head are all counted. We'll pass right by that one. So be not afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. God cares about creation. The sparrow finds a home. And you and I, you and I have a place in the Lord's heart. Next, I want to encourage you to put good things in your heart. To put good things in your consciousness and memory. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways. Now in Hebrew, that's where the sentence ends. In whose heart are the highways, the pathway to get you from where you are to the place of worship where God is seen and and experienced. Happy are those whose strength is in God, in whose heart are the pathways to worship. Several years ago, I had a dear woman in our congregation, and when I met her, she was an amazing human being who could teach, pray. If you needed somebody to talk to, you would want to have her to talk to. And unfortunately, over time, dementia set in. Just small things started. She lived not far from the church. It got to the point where she remembered very little. But one thing she didn't forget was the path from her house to the church. And so sometimes on a Tuesday morning or a Tuesday afternoon, she would show up at the church in her bedroom slippers and She'd walk into the choir room because she'd sung in the choir and then she would go into the sanctuary because that's the place she remembered. When she couldn't remember anything else, in her heart was that path from her house to the church. Now, we'd have to call her husband and say, she's she's here again now. You want us to bring her home? Okay, yes, please. What's in your heart? What are you going to remember if you remember nothing else? A member of my church that I was serving 10 years ago was in a coma for days and days. And, of course, you, you think that if somebody is in a coma, they are not really knowing what's going on. But that wasn't the case with her at all. She knew everything that was going on. She just couldn't move. She just couldn't speak. She couldn't even blink her eyes. She describes that period of days and days as incredibly boring. And she thought to herself, what in the world am I going to do? And then she looked in her heart. And she found the verses to her favorite hymns. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. 
What's in your heart? Like, if you were to forget everything else, what's in your heart? Is it, is it scripture? Is it peace? Is it the path to God? Believe in God's generosity. Here's how the writer describes it. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live in tents of wickedness. For the Lord is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, Happy is everyone who trusts in you. Dear Christians, these pathways in our hearts, this impulse to want to worship, this joy at being in God's house, God's generosity is beyond compare. God will never leave you. God will not forsake you. Not if you are in a hospital room all alone because nobody can come and visit you. Thanks a lot, Delta variant. God is with you and and offers his promises to you. Even if you're in a nursing home and staring at the ceiling, you're not alone. And God will give you good things. Here's how Jesus describes it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Even you and I know something fundamentally true that Jesus talks about. You know it if you have children. If you don't have children, you have nieces and nephews or neighbors. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, who are flawed, who are imperfect human beings, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. I pray that the love of worship, the heart for worship would be ours. And I pray that we would know the generosity of a good and loving God. Blessed are we who trust in Jesus Christ. Blessed are we who have this gift of the Holy Spirit and are invited to worship. Blessed are we who live in this family of God and have the wonderful privilege of being called God's children. Blessed are we who know God's generosity and love and are able to gather and to praise his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.